The universe has good news for the lost, lonely, and heartsick. The Sugars are here, speaking straight into your ears. I'm Steve Allman. I'm Cheryl Strayed. This is Dear Sugars. Oh, dear son, won't you please Share some little sweet days with me Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Steve. Well, today we are going to talk about stepchildren. And this is because for longtime listeners, you know, we've talked about step parents in a couple of different episodes. And each time uh, our letter writers, thank you, basically filled our inbox with questions about whether we're going to handle the experience of being a stepchild. Right. It's a fraught relationship. And um, I think that it's one of those really rare times that we're forced to be very intimate with people sometimes that we don't even like, we don't even know, you know, suddenly you look up and your mom or dad has married somebody else. Um, and, and that can be beautiful or it can be complicated. One thing that does get, I think, overlooked when we talk about step parents, and especially we've heard on our stepmother's episode, you know, we've got the evil stepmother in every fairy tale. And then we've got this sort of shady, predatory uh, stepfather. But I think what does get overlooked is that there's also beautiful relationships sometimes. There's love between stepchildren and stepparents. Mm-hmm. And I, I can speak personally to kind of like both sides of this, the hard stuff and the, the, the lovely stuff. I did have a wonderful stepfather for a time in my life. I didn't have a good father, but I had a wonderful stepfather. When I was like 11, my mom married uh, this guy who I call Benny. And he was really the father I never had. He loved us and uh, nurtured us and he treated us like we were his own. And, you know, I think that that experience has been one that deeply transformed my life because I did have the love of a, of a man. I had a father figure. I think that that helped me um, in so many ways heal the wounds that my father made by his abuse and abandonment of me. Now, you know, my stepfather also ultimately did end up hurting me. He ended mm-hmm. up wounding me too after my mom died. When I was 22, he couldn't go on being a a father figure to me. Yeah. Well, now, Cheryl, you know, as listeners might know, my mom passed away a couple of years ago, and my dad has met a a wonderful woman. Your dad who's been on the show? Who's been on the show, Dr. Rick. Listeners know Dr. Rick. That's right. Um, And and actually has known this woman for years, and they fell in love, and they're going to get married. And I realized, oddly enough, in my early 50s, I'm going to be a stepchild. I'm going to have a stepmom. And obviously, I want nothing but good things for my dad and for his wife-to-be, who I adore. But even with that good outcome, uh, my feelings as a stepchild-to-be are complicated Mm -hmm. um, and and somewhat mixed because, of course, you know, inevitably, the stepchild and the stepparents are stepping into a very complicated and fraught situation where they're suddenly very intimate with somebody who is not the parent that they were used to and and desired the love of. Let me read the first letter. I think it speaks directly to all of this. Dear Sugars, I'm a 26-year-old female whose parents got divorced when I was a junior in college. We all saw it coming, but this didn't make it any less painful. 
My parents' marriage was probably doomed from the beginning by the combination of them being so young, having kids right away, and my mom's drug and alcohol abuse. My mom was an addict for all of my childhood and most of my adult life. I'm haunted by memories of me and my siblings having to drive her before we had a license, her reeking of vodka and cheap wine, finding random pills in her pockets while doing laundry, her sleeping all day, her never staying at a job longer than six months, my dad working all the time to try and keep our lives normal, my mom's failed suicide attempts, their constant fighting, and the denial of our crumbling family. I basically grieved the loss of my parents' marriage all my life. I watched it slowly burn all around me, until it came crashing down when I was 20. What followed was even worse. They separated, and my mom hit a car while she was drunk and went to jail while I was at my college graduation. It was horrible. But this letter isn't about all that. It's about my parents remarrying. My mom found a nice man with a good job on a dating website, and I really like him. He's quiet and very kind, and he seems to be able to deal with my mother's bipolar disorder way better than I can. Let's call him Stuart. My dad married a woman we will call Donna, who he'd worked with for several years. His way of introducing her was to bring her to our Thanksgiving dinner. No warning, no asking if it was okay, no nothing. She was just there. I don't know how to say this nicely, so I'll just say it. I don't like her. My first interactions with her were watching her sit on my dad's lap, watching them slap each other's butts, kissing all the time, all over each other, in front of me. She's very loud and talks over me. She never asks me anything about myself. She never lets my dad and I have alone time. She'll even get mad if my dad chooses to sit next to me at a restaurant instead of her. My dad and I live in different parts of the country, so I see him maybe once or twice a year if I'm lucky. As soon as they got married, he kicked me off his medical insurance and phone plan and talked to me about paying my student loans myself. I'm an adult and happy to do all those things. I just find it ironic it all came within 72 hours of them being married. I used to be such a daddy's girl and talked to my dad about everything all the time. I didn't know how to handle the loss of my mother's health and felt like he was the only one I could talk to. I had such empathy and heartache for him and all he had to go through in his marriage with her. I respected him so much for trying to give me and my siblings a normal life with money and resources so we didn't have to focus on our mother's crippling addiction. I used to filter everything I did and said around him so as to not hurt his feelings because I love him so much and am so grateful for all he's done. But I feel like he's allowed this woman to completely take over his life. I feel distant and angry every day and don't want to visit him anymore. I feel like he doesn't have a clue who I am or what I want or what I need. I get so jealous of my friends and even my boyfriend and how much their parents care about them and their lives. As far as my mom goes, while I like her husband, I live in fear she's going to do the same thing to him that she did to my dad. She's been sober for a few years, but I fear her bipolar behaviors will return and drive her toward drugs or suicide. It would crush me to see her do it to another person. So what do I do? How do I handle the future with both sets of step-parents? How do I like Donna more and continue to have a relationship with my dad? How do I spend quality time with my mom and Stuart when I have to keep myself from crying just thinking about them? I've been to therapy and read the Boundaries books and tried so hard to forgive and forget, but I can't. 
I have so much empathy some days, and some days I want to punch a wall and never get out of bed. I dread Christmas and birthdays. I can't even think about how I'll handle my own wedding day. I've gone from being someone who wanted to be a mom to being terrified of having children. How do I move forward? What book am I not reading? Or what pill can I take to make this easier and less hurtful? Signed, Wounded Stepchild. Oh boy. Wow. Wounded Stepchild. I feel your pain. That's really, it is a hard thing. And I wish there were a pill that you could take to make this better. There isn't. But what I will say is that you are very much in a transition period right now, especially with your father and his new wife. And yeah. I think that whenever uh, things are new, uh, that they can be especially difficult and tumultuous. And so the optimist in me wants to say, clearly she sees that the two of you are close and um, she's doing very classic, very immature things that sort of betray her inner turmoil about being threatened, essentially, by yeah. the, the bond you have with your dad. No adult gets upset who sits next to who in the restaurant if she's of a reasonable mind. And part of that is because your your dad kind of botched the introduction. He botched that bringing Donna into your life moment. And, you know, you can't go back in time. But I do think that it would be useful for you to at least try to talk to your dad about these wounds, essentially, that he's causing in bringing Donna into your family that yeah. didn't take into account both Donna's feelings you know, after all, there is a reason she's feeling threatened and your own feelings of being shut out by their new union. And, you know, you say that you're angry and hurt and, and it makes you not want to visit your dad right now. But I would say that the only way that this divide is going to be bridged is if you try to reach across it in a very, I think, intentional way and in a very serious way that you say to your dad, I love you and I and I value you. And you, you say to him essentially all the things you said to us. And without really casting aspersions on, on Donna, say, you know, I'm feeling really distant from you and I want to get together and talk to you about it and I want to do it alone. And, you know, I know that that's going to cause problems in his marriage because as you said, he doesn't, Donna doesn't approve of that. But I think that if you can somehow get to your dad and make him understand that you are not questioning his decision to marry this woman. You are not even saying that you don't want this woman to be part of your life, but that you first need to have a heart-to-heart -heart with your dad about all of the big changes that have happened in this recent period of your life. Yeah. I was put in mind to um, David Copperfield and the inherent difficulty that happens when a step-parent comes into the life of a child. There's a, a moment in David Copperfield where Edward Murdstone, the, the stepfather, is first introduced to David Copperfield. And his feeling instinctually, I think, speaks to how you feel about Donna. David Copperfield says, He patted me on the head, but somehow I didn't like him or his deep voice, and I was jealous that his hand should touch my mother's in touching me, which it did. I put it away as well as I could. Mm -hmm. Now, what matters is not that Edward Murdstone ends up being a bad guy. We don't know really what Donna will wind up being. Hopefully she'll be somebody who's at least neutral, if not loving and positive in your life. But what matters is she is a rival 
for a, a great love in your life, which is your father, somebody you revere and connect to. And that is something you need to be honest and in, in reckoning with, no matter who it was and what their personality would be. When somebody comes into a beloved parent's life um, and is now their partner, that's tough for the kids. We don't like to talk about it because it's too ickily edible or whatever, but that is tough to absorb, whether you're 10 or 20 or 50. Yeah, and I mean, it's especially tough wounded stepchild when, you know, you you don't like Donna, you say with clarity. And my plan A is, you know, okay, Donna's just really in a hard patch because she she does feel threatened by you. Um, plan B might be that it's going to get worse and you need to grieve the loss to some degree of your father and move on. And when we become adults, there is a way that we have to reckon with our parents' own humanity and in independence in a way that we don't have to when we are actually dependent children, okay? When we're children, our parents really um, are expected to put us first. And when we're adults, they don't always do that. And they certainly don't do that when they marry people we don't like, right. as your father did. You know, the wedge that between me and my stepfather is a spouse that's threatened by my relationship with him. She did various things that are, you know, not so different from some of the things you described with a stepchild. And I did make the play to my stepdad. I did say, hey, I love you. Whether I can have a relationship with right. your spouse or not, I want a relationship with you. He opted not to do that. And that was a big heartbreak on my life. I had to let it go. We are estranged. And um, I had to come to terms with that. I had to let that go. And so, you know, plan A is that it's a hard time and you can heal this, even if it's not perfect. Plan B is you might have to get used to the sorrow and rage you feel, the jealousy you feel uh, about other people having loving parents who are present for them. And what I know, having gone many miles down, down this very road myself, is that, you know, that there is a way that we can all, of course, come to terms with these kind of losses. And sometimes a parent marrying somebody new, really that's the beginning of the end of a certain kind of relationship you get to have with that parent. Yeah, I do think that some of what Donna has unconsciously awakened in you is the trauma of your mom's own solipsism and destructively selfish behavior. That what's happening in a sense is your dad is being taken away from you by this self-involved woman who has no interest in who you are and whether you're doing okay. And I think that feeling that the mother figure is not looking out for you is a very old and familiar one mm -hmm. for you. I think it's being awakened by this new mother figure. I also think that you're not going to be able to rescue your mother. Whatever demon she's battling with, that's her set of demons to battle with. And I think you need to, to the extent you can, realize you can't continue to take care of her and lead your own life. And I specifically want to say that, you know, you in your childhood, um, and we do this with family members, we typecast them, but, you know, the types were that your mom was all selfish, all self-involved, all self-destructive, and you had to become the adult. And your dad's paradigm was that he was all selflessness, all love and connection and sacrifice. And your deepest fear here is when you write, I feel like he doesn't have a clue who I am or what I want or what I need. And that feeling is so familiar because I think that's the feeling that you got in relation to your mom. Mm -hmm. And what I would say, part of what will help this be a better outcome, no matter which way it goes, is if you step back and say, okay, 
my dad has a right to be a little bit selfish. Uh, I don't mean to accuse him of being selfish, but for you, it's very out of character when he's suddenly flirting and expressing his happiness and his connection to this woman. You're used to him being somebody who's there for the kids, who's trying to hold the family mm -hmm. together, who's a sacrificer, and who is particularly attuned in that sacrifice to your needs. Some of this is inevitable. He wants to have a good time with his new wife. He has a right to that. If you will grant him that and grant him the ability to give himself some love and pleasure, it might help you be less angry at him for doing that. And by extension, less fearful that Donna's going to turn him into your mother, in essence. There will come a time, hopefully, where you and your dad will be able to reconnect. And you'll realize he hasn't disappeared forever, but he's also not exclusively there just to take care of you and your siblings. He's also, in the time that he has left on Earth, trying to bring himself some pleasure and happiness. And one of the things that has been really healing to me in my own process of trying to come to terms with letting my stepfather go as my dad, that even though it didn't turn out with him the way I wanted it to in my adult life, I really feel genuinely grateful for the love he gave me when it mattered most. And that is when I was a kid and I needed a dad. And wounded stepchild, you had a really great dad, as you as you say. Mm -hmm. And this isn't to say at all that like you have to let your dad go and that that he's not going to continue um, to be a great dad. But I think in some ways, what might be meaningful for you is to draw strength from that. You know, remember the father who nurtured you and protected you and 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 was everything to you. Yep. And you know, the, some of those skills he gave you are, are really things that you might call upon to navigate this difficult moment where you do in some ways have to see him in a new light yeah. and relinquish parts of him to his new wife. We wish you luck. We sure do. The world's clean energy future relies on ancient elements still in the ground. Without mining, there will not be a clean energy transition. But pulling them out of the ground comes at an environmental and human cost. Mining is intrusive, but the results are the building blocks for products that we use every single day. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Join me on point for Elements of Energy, Mining for a Green Future, five special episodes. Listen and follow On Point wherever you get your podcasts. So we're back and we have our guest actually in the studio, the amazing Theo Pauline Nestor. She's the author of How to Sleep Alone in a King-Size Bed and Writing is My Drink. Mm -hmm. She lives and teaches in Washington State and coaches writers everywhere. Her blog is called writingismydrink.com. She also had an article in HuffPost called Fighting for Custody of My Stepfather, which really compelled us uh, to invite mm -hmm. her here today. Theo, welcome to Dear Sugars. It's so great to be here. Hi, Cheryl. Hi, Steve. Hi. So I I actually know you in real life, too. Yeah, yeah. I know. <laughs> As humans. That's right. West Coast writers. Yes. We stick together. So anyway, it's, it's an extra thrill to have you. 
And I wonder if you can share with us and our listeners your experience as a stepchild. So my parents divorced when I was 11 months old. And after that, I had very little relationship with my father. I call my stepfather my dad and I call my biological father my bio dad. So my bio dad and I had very little relationship. Um, I'd see him like maybe once a year. He essentially moved to Mexico after my um, parents divorced, taking my sister with him. So when my mom married my stepfather, it was actually a really happy time in my life Mm. because he chose to completely envelope me into his pretty uh, stable, wonderful nuclear family and extended family. He has, uh, he had, because they've Actually, everyone in the story has passed away, sadly, Mm. two children, and they became my stepbrother and stepsister. But most importantly um, here is that my stepfather stepped completely into the role of being my parent. Mm. And how old were you when? I was 10. Okay. And even though, you know, I was too old to be like, this is my dad. We were both so willing that we really like made it as much as we could, like he was my father. And he did things like help me with my math homework, which was, let me tell you, not easy. He taught me how to drive. He taught me how to ski. And he would get me up at 4.30 in the morning. We would drive up to Whistler and go skiing. He represented to me someone I wanted to be like. Hmm. Neither of my parents graduated from high school. And my stepdad went to a really good university and he had a really good job and his family was known in our community. So it was like he was my hero. I got to kind of socially rise in the world because of the family and the home that he offered me. And even though there was always something a little bit off about that, it's never like, oh, I was born into this. But still, it was about as good as you could hope for. So fast forward to when I'm 30 and my stepfather and my mother never had a great marriage. Um, There was a lot of fighting. And by the time I was 30, it seemed like it was coming apart. I would phone home and he was never there. That had been semi-normal because he traveled a lot for work. But then there was a certain point where it was like, no, I've, he's never there. Mm-hmm. What's going on? Mm-hmm. And my mom said, well, I think this is it. I think we're splitting up. And I said, yeah. okay, so where is he? And she was like, I don't know. What? You don't know? And like, there's no number. She's like, well, I have some ideas, but I don't know. And there's nothing I can tell you. It was kind of like I was that girl waiting for the boy to call. Like I was like waiting for my stepfather to phone me and say he still wanted to be a part of my life. I was hoping. And and in some ways, him leaving your mom, he was leaving you. Because he didn't get in touch and say, Yeah, no. Okay, we're breaking up, but here's where I am. No, he didn't do the thing that we hoped that grown-ups would do. Right. And even though I was a grown-up and I had my own life, it hurt very much because I was so attached to him. But one day the phone rang and he sort of acted like things were semi-normal. And 
I made a decision in that moment that I was going to, um, like you talked about with your stepfather, make a play for him. Mm-hmm. I always, with him, kind of deferred to him and let him say how a relationship would go. But I decided, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to say, I want you still to be my father. Are you still going to do that? Right. And I was kind of shocked that at that point in my life, I was able to summon the courage to do it. But the stakes were really high. And um, he said, of course, I want that. Um, The problem is I don't want your mom to know where I am. And I was said, where are you? And he said, I'm in Florida and I'm with another woman. Wow. And I was like, "Okay, so I won't tell her where you are. I don't want to be in between the two of you, but... I still want you to be my dad. And that conversation was the changing moment. He ended up marrying that woman, and he ended up very quickly getting diagnosed with lung cancer and very quickly getting very ill. And he only had a few more years to live. And he and I were very close during those years. I had my first daughter during those years. He was her grandfather. And then as he was dying, I spent the last six weeks supporting my stepbrother and his family, who were the main caretakers of my dad with his new wife. And I got to be in the room with my stepbrother and his family when my dad died. Mm. So it was really meaningful that in the end, I was a daughter and I got oh, to be beautiful. a daughter. Yeah. 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 You're, you're, you're lucky. I know. I am lucky. And I, I feel the luckiness. Dear Sugars, I grew up with a very loving, hardworking, and amazing mother. My biological parents divorced when I was two. My mother met my stepdad a year later and married him when I was five. They had a child who's now 14, and she and I are very close. Over the years, I separated myself from my drug and alcohol-addicted biological father. Although my stepfather was not an overly lovey or affectionate father figure, he was the only father figure I ever knew and I loved him for treating me like his own. We had nicknames and inside jokes, and he never made me feel like I was less than his biological child. For that reason, I changed my last name to his when I turned 18. This was a big emotional step for us. I thought it would bind us together and admittedly, idealistically, help heal my wounds for my biological dad. More than anything, though, I craved a feeling of belonging, of not feeling like the black sheep. Three years after I changed my name, my mother told me she was splitting up with my stepdad. She was tired of his workaholic tendencies and worried he was either cheating on her or about to. I felt heartbroken and devastated for her, but also for myself. After all, it wasn't just my mom who married him. I helped him pick out her engagement ring. I danced with him at the wedding, cut the cake with them, changed my name to his. I felt as though I was getting divorced too. I could never have guessed how accurate that feeling would be. He immediately cut me off in every way, financially, emotionally, all of it. There were even a few months where I thought I was going to have to change universities right before I was set to graduate. Since the divorce was finalized a few months ago, my ex-stepdad doesn't return my calls or emails. The most I've gotten is a Hallmark birthday card with his name signed at the bottom. 
My younger sibling was hurt by the split, but she's still close with him. I don't want to burden her with my feelings of abandonment. I know the divorce was hard for everyone, and after losing my own biological dad, it would pain me more than anything to know that something I said affected their relationship. But it's hard for me to see photos of them going on trips together. My mother knows that I was torn up by all of it, but she has so much of her own pain to sort through. The adult part of my brain knows this is not my fault, and I can't carry the burden of someone else's shortcomings. But the child in me, who looked up to this man for 18 years, has no idea how to handle being cut off from someone I thought of as family. This is also an isolating problem, one I find difficult to talk about with most people. Being a step anything is a hard path to walk. The roads are unclear and every situation is so different. But I thought of this man as a father, and now I feel utterly abandoned and rootless. I changed my name to feel a part of something, but now every time I introduce myself, I feel hot red anger and even embarrassment. How do I heal myself after this? How do I not resent my sibling for her continued relationship with a man I thought was a father to both of us? Please help shine a light on where I go from here. Signed, no name to speak of. Wow, Hmm. so what a letter. Yeah, I mean, Theo, in a sense, this woman has lived out a kind Mm -hmm. of nightmare version Mm -hmm. of your scenario. What did you feel and think as you were reading it? Yeah, it's funny because there's actually this other level of similarity in our letter. And I started thinking about how when there's anything with the father, there's always something with the name. My biological father named me after him uh, when I was born. So my name's Theo Pauline Nestor. His name was Ted Nestor. And then when my mother married my stepfather, you know, it was the early 70s and there was a lot of shame around divorce then. And she wanted us to appear as a normal family. So Back then, you could just scratch out your kid's last name and put in the last name you wanted. Like, it wasn't like today where it'd be like computers, you know, going like, error, error. So she scratched in my stepfather's last name for mine, and I used it until I was 18. And so the letter writer and I are kind of like mirror opposites in that way. So I didn't, it wasn't a legal thing, and it wasn't um, my choice. And when I became 18... As much as I loved my stepfather, it was actually really uncomfortable and weird and problematic to have a last name that none of my documents reflected. And so when I went to go to college, it's like, I actually want to go to college with the name that's on my birth certificate. And I decided then, like, that was going to be my name forever. So one of the things that I wanted to suggest to this letter writer Well, first, I want to say I really feel for you because I know the anguish of being cut off from the person that you, you know, know as your father and that you chose to be your father and he chose you. And to have that relationship in jeopardy is really painful. And I felt that pain and I felt it again when I read your letter. But I I do think there's a few separate issues in your letter that are getting a bit conflated and that if you could tease them out a bit from each other, it might help you to move forward. So I think there's the experience of your last name, which you changed to be your stepfather's. There's the experience of being a stepchild 
in the world and people not necessarily understanding, even in your own family, what that means to you because your um, half-sibling is not a stepchild and your mother is busy with her own troubles. And then there's the relationship with your stepfather, a separate thing to be dealt with. And the first two are things that I think that you have a certain amount of control over. You have some control over your last name. Mm -hmm. And if you choose to keep his last name, you are also choosing to keep the name that represented the love that he gave you when you were a child. Mm -hmm. And so one thing you could think about is that that last name will represent the love that you were given by choice. I never knew the luxury of having a biological father who just like loved you because he was your own kid. But I knew this other thing that I almost thought was sweeter, which was I was chosen and I was loved by choice. And that there is something really dear about that, no matter what happens in the future. And we can't control the course of relationships, but the past is unchanged. He did give you that. Mm, that's so, you know, that that's consoling to me. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, oh, I, I wonder. Yeah. I know that to be true because yeah. I said it. And yet hearing it, hearing that sentiment from you and your advice um, to no name to speak of is, is very powerful. And yeah. I think it's, I think it's a, it's beautiful. So thank you. Well, and it's funny that you say that because there's something that you've said about your stepfather that really touched me, which was in some interview about wild, you said that you'd written the whole book and yeah. you'd handed it in. And then you remembered that he was the person who taught you how to camp. Yeah. And yeah. then you were like, oh, no, I've got to add that in. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's very powerful. It's, it's the last edit I made in a while. I, I forgot, you know, that this man who I lost. Yeah. And part of that grief journey in Wild, I didn't write a whole lot about my stepfather because for, for various reasons. But part of that journey was was grieving my loss of him, too, not just of my mother. And when I remembered that it was it was he who gave me the skills I needed to mm -hmm. go hike the Pacific Crest mm -hmm. Trail. He taught me how to make yeah. fire. He taught me how to camp. He taught me how to 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 be self sufficient in the wilderness. He yeah. really did. And I mean, what could be more fatherly than the line he taught me how to make fire? Right, like That's it's right. almost <laughs> mythic, right? It is. So the name represents that, but it also represents this bond to your half sibling, and that's a bond that's forever. And if you choose to keep that name, you will choose uh, this affinity with your half-sibling. Mm. Now, the other thing is, though, you have a choice. You can change your name back to what it was before. You can change your name to anything. Actually. I changed my name entirely. I, I, I didn't want my that. dad's name. Mm -hmm. You right. know, my name growing up was Cheryl Nyland. And yeah. I'm... Cheryl Strayed. You know, it's interesting because like I've noticed a lot of women writers have something about their name because our words are so important to us. And so, you know, maybe you feel this too, letter writer, that you... Well, and her, she signs her letter, yes, no name to speak exactly. of. Exactly. So this is clearly a very powerful... Important. Words have power. Names yeah. have even more power. They're a word that's attached to our identity. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I... And our lineage. Yeah. And having that as her signature rather than no father to speak of... Right. ...means yeah. that this is yeah. the thing... That she could look at. Well, yeah, it's a, it's a letter partly about identity. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's 
What's beautiful is that your father, no name to speak of, treated you like one of his own. You felt like you were a biological child. Not only that, you had an independent relationship to Mm -hmm. him. And the downside of that is that in this time, I suspect that he's pulling away from you because he's in pain, because his marriage is broken up, and because you were so strongly identified with that family and that bond, it's painful for him to be in touch with you. We don't know exactly what your stepfather's motives are, but I would say that unconsciously or consciously, he might be ashamed, but also he might be punishing you for your mother's actions. After all, it sounds like she initiated the split Mm -hmm. based on his workaholic tendencies or his maybe straying from the marriage. Mm -hmm. And what might be important for him to hear is, I'm not my mom and I do not share her feelings about you. I was your daughter and I am your daughter and Mm -hmm. I want to remain your daughter. That's my hunch. We we don't know because he's incommunicado. But it certainly could be. I mean, she says, I feel as though I'm getting divorced too. And I, I wrote right next to that sentence, no name to speak of. Yep. Because the thing is, is you are. Mm-hmm. That is the strangest thing about being a stepchild who's present for that romance and marriage like I was too. You know, my siblings and I, we were we were in the wedding party. You know, we were the, right. the bridesmaids and the ring bearer and, the, you know, all of that stuff. And we, we felt that it was our wedding because it was our wedding. This was your wedding, no name to speak of. So it's also your divorce. Yeah, And so I, I think that, that to um, keep faith, keep reaching out to him, keep saying, I am your daughter and I want to be here for you, even if it has to look a little bit differently now mm-hmm. that this divorce is final. I mean, honestly, the play might be to send him some version of this letter. You might say, I feel as if mm-hmm. you've disappeared from me and, and I'm distressed by that because you are somebody who helps give me the identity that I've grown into Now, whether that is successful or not, it at least represents the most that you can do in this moment. Mm -hmm. You know, we have to accept to some extent that, um, especially as children, you know, parents will make up their own minds. We can't control them. We can't control the future. We can't control their course of action. But at least you will have said what you need to say to him. I totally agree. And I I think that step for me, even like if my stepfather had recoiled from me, it was actually a fundamental step in my development because it was, you know, just me standing up for myself and saying, this is what I want, whether you want to give it to me or not. It, you know, it emboldened me in other areas of my life. Yeah. You know, I think to your sibling, no name to speak of, can be a great source of comfort for you and maybe might help be a conduit through which you can come to a better understanding with your stepfather. And I, I pick up on in your letter that, you, you know, you're very reluctant um, to sort of drag her into this, to make her the go-between or the mediator. She is only 14. So, of course, I understand it. I think you're correct in, in um, being cautious about that. But I think that you might be overly cautious when it comes to thinking about sharing your feelings with her, yeah. um, certainly she would understand why you would be distressed that suddenly the, mm-hmm. the man who you both knew as your father mm-hmm. is suddenly shutting you out. And, you know, I think that that she might be a really wonderful resource for you if you open mm-hmm. your heart to her and share I share agree. your feelings. And again, you know, I think it's really important to keep out the sort of jealousy piece. You know, obviously that goes without saying that you feel jealous. 
of the time that she gets to spend with your dad. But I think that, you know, really just talking about what your feelings are, what your hopes are, that you want to continue this relationship with your father after the divorce and see what she has to say. She might be able to to give you some insight into why your stepfather is making these choices. And I would just add to that that she's feeling this, too. She may be kind of uncomfortable and sad and maybe angry about the fact that there's the silence between your stepfather and yourself. And actually bringing it up with her might be a relief to her. That's like, oh, okay, good. We're going to talk about the elephant in the room. And it also does something that's really important, which is to try to undo the hovering ghost of step. Because, of course, father's sudden withdrawal from this has reopened the idea of, like, who am I? Am I just a step to him? Do I really matter, right? Yeah. In the letter, you talked about, like, feeling rootless, abandoned, like a black sheep, and longing for belonging. And that was part of why you had wanted to change your name. And you talked about how, you know, there's it's kind of a lonely experience to be going through this because... Not everyone has this experience. So both my biological parents were married three times, and then my stepfather was married four times. So I've, like, been through a lot of this. And uh, (laughs) I always felt like a weirdo, a black sheep, like everybody else is fine, but I'm not. And part of that got exacerbated by the fact that I've been drawn in my life to people who have these, like, amazing families because I wanted to, like sip from the nectar of their family. And (laughs) I wanted to sleep over at their house and have like breakfast there because I liked it there. And also because they had so much stability in their life, they had a lot of love to give. But that caused a lot of comparison in my brain. And it was still a problem for me growing up and going through divorce. So one of the things that I do to combat this even now is I have myself really look at all the families I know and kind of list how they do have something kind of off, right? You know, every family has something and that there are a lot of step parents and there are a lot of people who, you know, are adopted or might feel alienated for another reason or their dad died or, you know, like something. And to realize this experience of feeling a need for belonging is actually super universal. And this feeling of rootlessness is sadly pervasive one in our culture. And so that by focusing on how you're alike with other people rather than that you're different, that might help you through this period too. Yeah. And in closing, really, one note, you know, it didn't turn out well for me. And as hard as that was, as hard as it was to to become an adult without those people behind me who, you know, were my mother and my and my father figure, I made it through. And so will you, uh, both of our letter writers today. I think about, you know, if the worst case scenario comes to pass, you're going to be okay. Because the beautiful thing about being a grown-up is you can build a family of your own. You can build your new family. And it doesn't have to be step. It doesn't have to be somebody who, who you know, abandons you. It can be a, a sturdy structure that you build yourself on the love you make and create in new relationships in the world. Yeah. I also think, no name to speak of, that this stepfather was your father. 
you are so clear-eyed about what you're feeling right now. It's a very painful truth, but the people who are lost in this world, lost to themselves and lost to their families, are the ones who can't articulate how they feel and why they feel that way. Mm -hmm. And you understand exactly that it is a measure of your love for this man and your trust in him that is reacting with sorrow and grief at his sudden and precipitous withdrawal from your life. But you might sign that letter that you're going to send him with your full name, with his name, because that will tell him that you are there waiting for him to summon the part of himself that's ready to step back into that role in your life. And I hope he does that for both of you. Yeah, we wish you luck. Theo, Pauline, Nestor, thank you so much for joining us on Dear Sugars. Thank you so much for having me here. It was such an honor to be part of the show. If you want to see a picture of Theo and her stepfather, we have one that we're going to put up on our website. You can find it at nytimes.com slash Sugars. Dear Sugars is produced by the New York Times in partnership with WBOR. Our producer is Alexandra Lee Young. Our editor and managing producer is Larissa Anderson. Our executive producer is Lisa Tobin. And our editorial director is Samantha Hennig. We recorded this show at Talkback Sound and Visual in Portland, Oregon, with our engineer, Josh Millman. Our mix engineer is Brad Fisher. Our theme music is by Wonderly, with vocals by Liz Weiss. Please find us at nytimes.com slash dearsugars. You can send us your letters at dearsugars at nytimes.com. That's dearsugars, plural, at nytimes.com. Or leave us a voicemail on our hotline at 929-399-8477. And please check out our column, The Sweet Spot, at nytimes.com slash the sweet spot.